Welcome to week three of Significant. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've been walking through all the different stories that we hear of Jesus, right? To us, they're just normal stories. We've heard them, you know, many times, and they've kind of normalized. When that happens, sometimes we can discount, we can devalue, uh, we can overlook a story, something significant that Jesus did, and think, oh, it's just, it was just him, right? Everything you find in Scripture is, is there on purpose, right? This wasn't a book that was just slammed together. It's not a blog. It's not, a, it's not just a, a piece that somebody, you know what? I'm just going to record some things or write a great story. No, no. These were significant moments, and all of them matter, every one of them, right? But sometimes we don't know why. We don't know why they're significant. And so that's what we're doing. We're walking through these specific stories that we've heard over and over again. I'm sure what I'm talking about today, you've heard me talk about. You're going to hear me some, say like some of the same things. Bear with me. Don't, don't nudge and go, oh, I, I know what he's going to say next. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, nobody likes that in a movie theater. Don't do it here either. Um, so it, it, these things matter, right? We're going to point something out today. So jumping right in, uh, when you read the Gospels, there's two things uh, that are abundantly clear. Reading through it, right? And, and it's kind of in the time and even now can feel kind of like an oxymoron. Like it's, that doesn't really make sense uh, based on how holy God is and everything. So being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. I've heard this line over and over again. I'll come to church. I'll come. I'll be a Jesus follower. I just got to clean myself up first. What? <laughs> that makes no sense. But we all feel like that. Like we have to make ourselves worthy to be a follower of Jesus, when he did all of these things to make it to where you could become a follower of Jesus, no matter where you are, right? So being a sinner is actually a prerequisite to being a follower of Christ. And some of you went, oh, thank God, right? I've been worried so much. It really opens the gamut for a lot of us. Being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from following Jesus. All of his followers, catch this, all of his followers unbelieved at a crucial point. They saw him do a lot of things. And then every one of them, even though they saw it all, begin to unbelieve. Well, that kind of gives us some room, right? It kind of goes, okay, maybe my struggles that I have, my belief struggles, maybe they're not so bad, right? Maybe me trying to tackle this in those moments where I like I have to ask God, for, I'm so sorry I didn't believe you in that moment. You know, no, 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 no. It, 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 everybody goes through this. This is every human, even the uh, prestigious apostles, right? So you are able to begin following Jesus regardless of what you believe about him or what you've done in your life. Yes, regardless of what you believe about him or what you have done in your life. There's a lot of times I say, people, they come to me and they go, man, I just I can't get on board that he was fully God and fully, that's actually one of the hardest things to get on board with, to believe that God came in a body form susceptible to the things that we are, went through the stuff that we did, and then because we, in our pride, would have taken control of things, we wouldn't have suffered, we would have made it, we would have done it a different way, but it's like, it's hard to get on board with that. And I like to say, fine, okay, just follow his teachings, because I know if you follow Jesus' teachings, it's actually getting you more in line with your design, 
And then you begin to go, wait a minute, this stuff works. Maybe, just maybe, he is exactly who he said he is. His first century followers, man, he was rolling deep with some, some, some crazy ones. They were not first pick, I, I can tell you that. Uh, but they were small business owners, <laughs> essentially IRS agents. Some you could call thugs. I mean, you could have defined them that way. They were men. They were women. Uh, they were rich. They were not so rich. They were respectable. They were not so respectable. Um, they were educated and not so educated. And they were blue collar and white collar. There was a great, a, a great variety of, of men that followed him. And today, we get to meet some of his earliest followers. The initial moment in which they chose to follow. So I feel like this is like I'm, uh, it's like I'm catching up on everything previously on Significant. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, right? Um, and then John the Baptist said, look, the guy I've been talking about, he's right there. Look at him, right? He's, and he's saying that if, if Jesus is walking through the room, you need everybody to know, what would you do? Look, he's right there, right? He already looked crazy, couldn't so already kind of normal. He lived in the wilderness, ate bugs, had crazy hair and long nails and all that. So he got the guys, I don't, I don't think you're capturing him. He's right there, right? So we went through that. Did an amazing job, okay? Um, and then last week, he was tempted by Satan to embrace the ways of the kingdom of the world. Satan was so bad. Because remember, I, I said last week, and this is if you're first time or if you're just, you didn't hear last week, news flash to you. You are not Satan's number one target. Your collateral damage. He is after God. He wants to disrupt God, shame God, take everything away from God because he's jealous of God. He wants God's power. And the more he can hurt God, the better that he feels. And so if he can hurt his creation, that hurts God. And so he's after you to hurt him, not you, okay? I know that hurts any special model you have of yourself. But, you know, deal with it. That's just, that's reality. Okay? So he did, he did that. Satan tried to tempt him because, like, what best way to hurt God is to, to turn his only son away from him. He tried. I understand why he shot his shot. I get it. I would, if I was Satan's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing, right? If that was my one mission, logically, I would have done it. To our benefit, he failed. Jesus resisted. Uh, and then he returned to Galilee, right? So in this journey... He started doing a lot of things, right? Words started getting out. So we find in Luke 4, 14 through 15, it says, News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Word was getting out. It was spreading. Instagram, uh, influencers, like, hey, everybody's been asking me about this guy. That's, you ever notice on influencers, that's what they do? They say, hey, everybody's been asking me. Who's everybody, Right? <laughs> Who are these people that are at? Nobody's asking them. That's just something they say uh, that makes you think, oh, man, they're really popular, right? But this was real because this was word of mouth and things were actually happening. Jesus didn't have to post or put a proclamation out saying, I'm here. His actions were proving it. And so because of that, word was getting out. It was spreading all over, all over the place. So Simon Peter invited him home after church, right? You've been hearing about this guy. He does all these healings. And his mother-in-law had a fever, really bad fever, and, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They were worried. It's not like today where you can just take some antibiotics and like that. 
you would die. Sometimes you would die because you had a fever, right? Your body would basically bake itself trying to kill whatever, whatever was on the inside. And so Simon Peter, he's like, hey, I've heard about this guy. He can do some things, right? He invited him over, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now, this is important to the story, okay? Now, now remember this part. So it says Luke 440. It says, at sunset, the people brought Jesus uh, all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. So word was getting out. He had abilities. They weren't sure yet of who he was. They, they just thought, man, the proof is in the pudding. He can do some things. Let's invite him over. Let's get all the sickies out, you know, and have him touch them all and heal them. Wouldn't it be great, right? Logically, that would make sense. We would all do that. That moment, him healing people Healing Peter's mother-in-law, it set the stage for something even more powerful, something that we've missed, something that's very significant to the journey of Jesus and us following him. Okay, so it sets the stage of what happens next. Both versions of Matthew and Luke tell us the truth about what happened. Very factual, very upfront. This is, this is what happened, you know, this is what's next. Now, Luke gives us more detail about Jesus and how he called his followers because it matters. Because if we're supposed to be followers, how did the first followers follow? You, there would be some semblance there, right? If that is the initiation, we want to we get to that spot. How, are they, how did they become followers? So Matthew's point of view is that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw Peter and Andrew fishing, and he said, hey, come follow me. And they're like, okay. You know, they, <laughs> they went along, right? That's Matthew's account, okay? But thankfully, you know, we have more than that. So in Matthew 4.20, it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. It's just the truth. It's the facts of what happened. Then Jesus saw James and John uh, in a boat and their dad. And he said, hey, follow me, right? We find in, in 22, it says, And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. Now, if that is all we had, if that's all the information that we had on the first century followers, Jesus walking up and saying, hey, you, let's go. Right? <laughs> that sounds irresponsible, right? For someone to leave, it's not like today where there's Airbnbs and rental cars and all. You don't leave your home because that's all you have. And there are neighboring kingdoms who are not going to trust you because you're not a part of their kingdom. So for someone to come along and say, hey, come on, they're going to go, where? where? Where do you want me to go, right? Is it safe? Is there going to be food there? Because food's hard to come by. That's why we're fishing, right? That's why we're doing the thing. Well, where are we going? Who, who's in charge? Are there any soldiers to protect us when the neighboring kingdom tries to take us and steal us and turn us into slaves? What, what are we going to do, right? There's questions. So for someone just to walk up and say, hey, uh, your, your sons, I, I want them to come with me. I know they're really helpful in your business, you know, and what you do and your livelihood and supporting your, your, your village and, and everything. I know they're very important and they're very strong. I know you need a strong back, but hey, I need them. I know you don't really know me, but I need them, right? That would be irresponsible, right? Just to leave. Like saying, hey, Dad, you got it figured out, right? It wouldn't make sense. Who would do that? 
Thankfully, Luke gives us a backstory as to how and why this happened. What would change their mind? What, what would influence them in such a way to walk away from something that could lead to death? Why? So in Luke 5, uh, 1 through 11, that's what we're going to be walking through. We're going to walk through this together, so stick with me. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of... Je- oh, crap, I messed it up already. Je- <laughs> That lake, Jashin and Rat, yeah, whatever, that one. Um, the people <laughs> were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Uh, here is, there's this conundrum that people talk about, right? They'll go, okay, if we're supposed to hear about Jesus and learn about Jesus, what about the, the tribes and these people that are isolated on these islands? Do they make it to heaven because they never heard about Jesus, right? Do, do they have a pathway because they were never given the opportunity? I have no idea. You're probably waiting for an answer. I, I don't know. Because all I know is what Scripture tells me and how I know that I became a Christ follower. I didn't just immediately believe. I received some information first, right? I heard about Jesus. Someone told me the stories of all the things that he had done. And then I started to believe. So faith actually starts with information, not just belief. That's one of the hardest things about ministry about telling people about Jesus, because you already believe. And from what your information and what you know, you don't understand why they don't believe, but they might not have the information that you have. And so when you begin to receive that information, Christianity, Christianity is an informed faith. You, if you, and here's a, a big thing, and this would make a lot of ministers quake. If you can't question the faith, leave it. If you are at a church that you can't ask a question about why we believe and why we follow, leave it. Because if it depends on that leader telling you if it's right or wrong and only, you can't research that information on your own. And you're not allowed to ask questions. That's called a cult. That's what that is. That is the definition of a cult. Someone that only, you can only get to God or hear from him or get his direction if only from me. That I am now transformed myself into your God. That is a cult, okay? So if you are at a church, if you are a part of a faith community and you are not allowed to ask questions, it is frowned upon, leave it immediately. You should be allowed to ask questions. And I say that you can do that because if it is strong, it can handle questions. And I got to tell you, Christianity is strong. It can handle your questions. It can handle doubt. It can handle all of that. So, because it's information-based, following does not begin with belief. That's why John the Baptist said, hey, when when he was introducing Jesus, he didn't say, believe, believe. No, he said, look, information. He's right there. Look at him. I'm not telling you to believe immediately. Look at him and decide for yourself. Watch what he does, and you make the choice if you're going to follow him and believe he is exactly who he says he is. All right, continue on in verse 2. It says, He saw uh, at the water's edge two boats left by their fishermen and who were washing their nets. So it was mid-morning 
And if you have fished in your life, if you're a fisherman, you know that fishermen don't like to fish when it's, the sun is out and it's warm the water up because fish like cooler water, right? And so when the sun comes out and it warms up the water, the fish go down, right? Um, and so if you were a fisherman in this time, you didn't have all the fancy gadgets and the lures and da-da-da, you had a net. That's all you had, right? These big nets that you would, you would put together. And so you would go at the most advantageous time to catch fish. That's when they were the closest to the surface, right? Because and, and then around the morning time, the sun would come out, just peak a little bit, right? And it would make a shining and shimmering effect on the little fish. And so the big fish would come to the surface to eat the little fish. You see where you're getting it now? Like, you needed to be cool. So they had been fishing all night. This is what they did, right? They had pretty much been fishing all night. It's mid-morning. Can you imagine by mid-morning, they are tired, all right? They are tired. They are worn out, right? They are cleaning. You know, I said they are cleaning their nets, right? They're, they're bringing them back in. This is a whole process. They didn't have uh, plaster and, you know, fiber boats. And, you know, they didn't have all that. They had wood. They had cloth. They had, they had uh, cotton. They had all of these things that you could put together that soaked up. So there was a lot of cleaning involved. So it was exhausting. So they're washing their nets. The fishermen had fished all nights. Their nets were already clean and dry. And if you've ever fished, once you get it clean and dry, you say, nobody touch it because I don't want to clean and dry it again. I don't want to do that again. It's, it's, a, it's a whole process. All right, so verse 3, he says, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked. He asked him to put it uh, a little more uh, from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Uh, Jesus, being as smart as he was and knowing everything because he's God, you know, he used essentially an amplifier. Theater. Like he, if you've ever been on the water, you can hear people a long distance away because the water bounces off. You know, I mean, your your voice, the sound, it bounces off the water and it gets to you, right? It's it's a way of projecting. So he got in the boat and pulled a little late, and so he had the water to be as like his PA system, his speaker system, and it projected out to the people. So he's talking. It's a really cool moment. Uh, Luke provides the details on all this. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all there listening to what was going on. Verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, Jesus makes an unexpected request, something that Simon was completely capable of doing, very educated, knew exactly what to do, but the timing was not great, an unexpected request. It was not to abandon the families, right, not abandon their, their business or anything like that, to just follow, right? And Jesus gives Peter in the following, because that's what matters, the following, right? He gives him a baby step. He gives him a baby step to do next. Verse 4, it says, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. He's saying to him, I'm sure Peter's like, we're exhausted. We've been doing this all night. And I don't want to have to rewash the nets. I don't want to do it again. It would be as if you made dinner and then cleaned it all up, washed everything, uh, put it all away, and then someone immediately walks through your door and says, hey, I'm here now. Can you prepare another five-course meal? 
Can you do that again right now? Even though you're capable of doing it, you go, what? Why? I'm tired. I just, I just did that. I don't really want to do it again, right? That's kind of the situation, the feeling that's what's happening, right? Simple, but they had just cleaned their nets. Okay, so continue on. It says, Simon, Pe- Simon Peter uh, answered. He said, Master, we've worked hard all night. He was saying we're exhausted and we, have, we, have, we don't want to rewash the nets, right? Verse 5, he says, and haven't caught anything. So not only did you make a meal, it was terrible and nobody ate it. But you want me to do it again now? <laughs> the same effect? You know, we, we know the ingredients we have are not going to work. Something was wrong. Right? I did all the right steps, but it was terrible. We want to do that again? You sure? Right? You haven't caught anything. We fished all night. When you're supposed to fish. When you're supposed to fish. We've done it. And don't, don't be wrong, Jesus, but aren't you a carpenter? You don't really know anything about fishing. <laughs> and you're telling me to fish? You're telling me where to fish and how this is supposed to happen? And verse 5 continues on and says, But because you say so. Okay, remember back. Remember back. Remember back. He's basically telling, you healed my mother-in-law. You did that. Based on that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this step, this baby step. Based on that, even though... I'm going to look like I'm crazy. All the other fishermen are going to laugh at me, right? They're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to get a rousing from them, I'm sure, right? I owe you this, though. This makes no sense, and it will cost me physically and emotionally and socially. I'm going to trust you because you've done something. I'm going to follow. And he says, I will let down the nets. They didn't know what hung in the balance of this decision. He could have said no. I know you healed my mother-in-law. I know you did that crazy thing that nobody else can do, but no. That's too uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. That might make me feel weird. I'm not going to do that. They're going to laugh at me. I'm not going to do it. They have no idea what hung in the balance of this decision. They would have become nameless forgotten first century fishermen. There would be no St. Peter. The thing that we know, churches, multiple, streets, uh, places, you go visit, buildings, all sorts of things named after Peter. We wouldn't have that. It'd be like Eric or something. I don't don't know. (laughs) Or if it it even would have happened. I don't know. But because he made a choice, made a decision, Simon Peter had no idea what hung in the balance. You don't know what or who hangs in the balance of your next decision. You have no idea how it could change your life or possibly change the world. Your next step of obedience in following Jesus, your next step, It might not look significant. It might not be the best thing that you can think. You might not logically be able to wrap your mind around it, but you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Continuing to verse 6. It says it quick, like it happened really fast, but I imagine, man, if it was me, 
I, I'm very passive-aggressive sometimes when I want to be, when I'm really upset. That's like my unhealthy place is when I'm passive-aggressive. Um, so if I'm being passive-aggressive, look out, all right? So uh, I am sure that he's like, you want me to do what? Uh, okay, uh, because of what you did, Jesus, uh, because it's you. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. And then he would, so, so I would just slowly start just grab, grab the net and just, everybody's watching me. I'm looking around, locking eyes, and they're kind of like, <clears throat> yeah, giggling. Oh! You know, and I'm, I'm, this way, Jesus? You're right. Not this way, right? Because, I mean, there's only two sides of the boat. What's so, you know, you want this side? Okay. He threw it over, right? I'm sure that was kind of the situation. And it says, verse 6, <laughs> when they had done so, not when they had believed so, not when they had trusted so, not when they had put their faith in so, but when they had done so, when their faith intersected with the faithfulness of Jesus, catch that, when their faith, when their decision intersected with the faithfulness of Jesus, everything changed. That moment, every, the, I'm sure the wind shifted, the moment shifted, something was happening. It goes on to say, verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the boat, to, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. I, can you imagine, like he throws it over and he's like, oh God, I'm just going to come up empty and everybody's going to laugh at me. And then he can't, what is happening, right? And he can feel it moving and he begins to pull it up. And to his amazement, now when he locks eyes with his partners and they're all like, they're like, how, what, what? How is this happening, right? And they begin to pull it up and the boat begins to sink. They're like, I'm going to be swallowed by all this fish. I'm going to be in the net if we don't do something. And he signals to his partners. And they begin to, to row or I don't know how they jumped out and pulled over. I don't know how they get over there. But they, they got over there quick and they begin to help pull it in. Powerful moment. It went from super awkward and disappointed to like celebration and jubilation. And like, how does this even happen? We're watching a miracle before our eyes. I have fished my entire life. And I have never seen anything like this. This is un, almost unbelievable. Continue on. It says, when Simon, Simon Peter saw this, he cried out, We are rich. We won't have to work for weeks. Immediately, Peter offered Jesus a seven-year contract, 30% ownership of the company, with seven-year non-compete upon termination of the contract by either party. Some of you are like, man, i got to read the Bible. That sounds really, <laughs> some business decisions. I made all that up, okay? But if it gets you to read the Bible, sure, go for it. <laughs> that would have made great television, a good Shark Tank episode. But what actually happened is way more powerful and significant than that. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord he went from disappointed, passive-aggressive, I'm sure, to just elation, excitement, unbelief, and then immediately drops to the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, 
Go away from me. <laughs> why the new title? From teacher, Jesus, you know, why Lord now? It's the title and authority and ownership had changed. Why would he say, go away from me, Lord? And then he continues on and just says, I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. We might be inches apart from Jesus, but nowhere close. And it can feel that way. He held the same assumption of the community that God distances himself from sinners. That was the idea. And they believed sickness was one of those things, that if you were sick, that means you were out of design, and that, that meant sin in your life. And that God doesn't like sin so much that he's not going to fix you because he's distancing himself from you. You're dirty, unclean. I, you're not worthy to be in my presence. So that was Simon Peter's understanding of God. And so immediately when he gathered, oh, this is something above the world. This is something beyond me. I don't know any other human that could recreate this. You must be connected or be God in some way. And he drops to his knees and says, get away from me because I'm too dirty for you. I got to go fix myself up first. I got to tie up some loose ends, some sins. I got I to gotta cut them off before I can be close to you. That was the idea of the time. Religious leaders always felt this way, and Jesus came to reverse that. He came to establish a new relationship between God and man. Verse 9, it says, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. We hear this repeated often in Jesus' walk and how he talks to his uh, disciples. Often repeated. You've seen me heal and influence nature. This is what he's saying. If you see me do this, what are you afraid of? If, if I have done the impossible and I continue to do it in my presence, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? And then he tells them um, from now on, as if Jesus is saying, hey, boys, I got plans for you. I'm sure he said it with a grin. <laughs> boys, I got some plans for you. From now on, from this point forward, you will fish for people. And that was so confusing at that time because that's not something they did. They're like, mermaids? No. <laughs> people. <laughs> Humans. You're going to fish for people, telling them, let's go change the world together. You saw something. What are you afraid of? Let's go change the world. Let's go do something cool. Verse 11, so they put their boats up on the shore, left everything. I've said this many times. It's like if I had a family business storefront and someone came up to me and says, hey, and they did something really cool. They said, hey, follow me. And I just left the store, left it open, lights on. They said, oh, you guys figure it out and walked away. That is the equivalent of what is happening here. Left the livelihood of everything they have. Left everything. And they would die with none of that, without any of that. But most importantly, they would die without regret. 
Could, could you imagine the amount of regret that they would have after hearing? They said, no, we're not going to follow. And then Jesus did everything that he did. And then they, and then they go, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have abandoned this stupid boat, this business, and followed Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And I would have saw all these crazy things that he did. I would have been a part of it. You would have known my name for thousands of years later because all I did was leave it. And I followed. No regrets. In verse 11, of course, it says, and they followed him. And you would have too. And this is what you would tell. <laughs> if Peter was here today, you would tell him, yeah, I get that, right? Powerful for you, Peter. If, if God, Jesus did something like that for me, I would follow him too. That's what you would say to Peter, right? You're like, man, I wish I had some assurance like you had, Peter. I wish I had this powerful moment when he came and he threw the, I'll become a fisherman if that's how he does it, and I'll throw the net on the other side, whatever it takes. But he did it for you, not for me. I, I wish if I had the same experience you did, and according to Peter, you did. Something even better. I believe if Peter were here today and you said that to him, he might say, seriously? Seriously? That is the thing? Seriously? That is the hinging point? He did a fish trick, and I followed. A fish trick. He, he did something. It was cool what he did. But it was a fish trick, and I followed. Do you know what he did for you? You'll say, he sh you should. I wrote a letter. I, I wrote it down because it was so important. Did you read it? He's not talking about the Bible. He's not talking about this, this book. He's, he would say, my letter, my account. My eyewitness of what happened, I, I told you about it. You think that the fish trick is what you need? Really? Peter sent a, a letter to his first, first century following Christians and who felt the letter was so important, they meticulously and carefully copied it down for others to read. It was that important. In 1 Peter, we find it, in 1 Peter 2, 23, it says, when they hurled their insults at him, this is where he would go, really, you have something better than a fish trick. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He was God. He could have wiped the earth with us at any moment. But when they hurled the insults, the things that make our pride hurt, he didn't do anything. He didn't retaliate. Peter's saying, I saw this with my own eyes. Peter would say, have you seen a crucifixion? Have you seen somebody on a cross, nails in their hands, begging for their life? Have you smelt a crucifixion before? Have you heard the screams of a grown man for hours? Have you heard of a grown man screaming who's probably dead, their mother, trying to get someone to come give them relief. Have you seen that? Have you heard the threats that they would hurl down from the cross as they are, you watch them die? 
Have you experienced that? Have you seen the blood drip down? Have you seen just the gore of it all? You know what they do when they would do and what you would do. But Jesus, he didn't indulge in any of that. As if he knew it was a part of the plan. He didn't insult us. He didn't attack us. He didn't cry out for his mom. He didn't scream. He didn't. He knew this was a step. This was a part of it. When it continues on in verse 23, it says, When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And later, uh, Peter says it dawned on us. It, we begin, we realize in verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins. He took all of it, not metaphorically, not, not another fish trick. No, he literally took all of our sins, past, present, and future, took them upon his body in him, let us kill him. Didn't gripe about it, but let us kill him so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for all sin, all the world. Peter would say, you're still looking for a fish trick? He did something way better for you. Way better. Instead of being separated, uh, being uh, dead to be separated from God, now we are dead to being separated being separated from the power of sin. We are dead to sin. That's what it means, because he died with it. So for us, he took it away. We are dead to sin now through Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. So significant. And finishing verse 24 says, and live for righteousness. We can live the lives that reflect the, right, the rightness, the goodness, and the other's firstness of God. By his wounds, this is his words, by his, his wounds, you, and he's saying to you, to us, not just the people that he wrote, but all of us, right, from continuing on, have been healed. You've been restored and made right with God. Fish tricks, that's nothing. Nothing compared. Surrendering to the crucifixion was everything. 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 No mere mortal could do that. Are you kidding me? Peter say, follow him. Don't be stupid. <laughs> follow him. He did that and got me, and then I got to see it, and I wrote a letter telling you about it. Follow him. There is not a shadow of doubt in his mind that you need to follow regardless of where you are, what you're coming from, or how you could disqualify yourself. Follow him. Follow him. That's way more significant than any fish story. When Peter's simple act of trust intersected with Jesus' faithfulness, everything changed. This is Jesus' way. Take small steps and watch. Take small steps and watch. So I'll ask you, what's your next step? What is the thing that God has been trying to get you to do? The step, whether... I mean, for some of us, it might be different. For some, it's coming back to faith. It's confessing to someone or to just to God. It's reconciling a relationship that's damaged because of something that they did or you did. Regardless, it's not good. 
That might be it. For others, it might be moral purity. You might need to take a year off dating because you have changed and have objectified the dating ritual. That might be it. I don't know. For others, it's serving to stretch you or giving and letting go of stuff and learning how to be a better giver, being more generous. It's these small steps that seem huge to us. If I started giving my money away, if I started being more generous, what is my spouse going to think about me? If I start coming and serving at church, I get up earlier and my neighbors see me going to church to do the volunteering, not being paid for my time, you know? They, 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 see me do, they see me go to a school, right? And they see me doing these things on a weekend, not going to play golf, but serving somebody at a school and doing something for others. They might see it, and they might laugh at me, and they'll go, why are you doing that? It's embarrassing. Am I hitting a note with somebody? They might think I'm weird, what if they ask me, why do I do the things that I do? Why am I so kind to people? Why do I try to be generous? Because I have to tell them I follow Jesus. They might think I'm weird. Peter can identify. He had a step he was embarrassed to take. But because he took it, he changed everything. Not just for him, but for all of us. You have no idea what your next step could change. No, no idea what hangs in the balance. The next step you take with Jesus is going to be a significant one. I'm willing to argue that every step that you take with Jesus is going to be a significant one. So if we've told all these stories and you've seen the things that Jesus has done in your life and the lives of others, and we have this platform and we talk about this stuff, and I share the stories of things that Jesus has done in my life. Hannah shares the stories of things that she's done. You go to small groups, and they're sharing the stories, and Jesus is looking at you in your next step and going, why are you afraid? If you, if you know that I'm here for why are you afraid? Take the step. Do you have no idea even though you don't understand it, you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Not just for you, but everybody around you. It's in those moments that you don't realize until it's over just how significant it was. So don't be afraid. Take the next step. Because it will be significant. Let's pray. Lord, we might not understand it all all the time. We might try to dig into Scripture and totally murder a lake's name <laughs> that we should know. <laughs> we, we might stumble. We might try to understand and fall short or go down a wrong path or any of those things, Lord. We, we can mess up, but Lord, you are still reaching out for us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for Peter. Thank you for Luke. I'm so thankful that Luke took the time to sit down and go, man, I know what it feels like to have unbelief. I know what it feels like to struggle in faith. So I'm going to describe the story the best that I can so that they can learn from it. For generations from now, they can hear this story and it'll help them take the next step on their faith journey. 
thank you so much for them. Jesus, thank you for stepping into the, that boat. Thank you for looking Simon Peter in the eyes. Even though he might have looked at you crazy, Jesus, he still did it. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray for us in our next step, whatever it may be. If it's scary, if it feels like it's going to embarrass us, logically we can't make sense of it, Lord, I pray that we have the courage and strength to take that next step regardless. Because God, we have no idea. As humans, we have no idea what hangs in the balance. And we can't wait to see what you do with that next step. So give us the courage, give us the strength, Holy Spirit, guide us in our next step. If we can't see the step, reveal it to us in whatever it may be so that we can begin that next significant step with you. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen.